Welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable, a running podcast where we shake out and purposely go off track on any and everything related to our favorite hobby. Get ready to get uncomfortable along with our guests, because growth only happens outside of your comfort zone. Here are your hosts, Inez Bibia, Jamie Chen, and Nathan Schiller. Hi, I'm Jamie. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable. I'm Ines Bebea. And I'm Nathan Schiller. Today, our guest is Matthew Luke Meyer, who, from what I hear, is a very fast guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's one of those runners. When you look at his pictures and his feet float off the floor, he never touches the ground. <laughs> Nobody is that. It's so true. But before we get started, let's open up with our sports legacy segment where we feature, um, you know, running history that we could all maybe wish we could repeat. For example, Ted Corbett, the first African-American president of the New York Roadrunners, ran the Boston Marathon 22 times from 1951 to 1974. And in those 23 years, he only got 18 seconds slower. Like in 1951, he did a 248.59. And in 1974, he did a 249.16. Matt, you ran a 234 in 2019 for New York City. Where would you like your speed to be in 23 years? In 23 years? That's a really great question. I always, I, I love seeing like really great photos and videos of people in there like that are in their 80s that are still running. And that's like a, a life running to just always have it be part of my life. But in 23 years, I would love to still be qualifying for Boston. That would be awesome. I would love to still be, I mean, the, the, the older I get, the, the time window changes, but right. I'd still love to be able to lace up a pair of sneakers and, and, like, and like bust down a couple doors here and there, show up and uh, show some of those young folks uh, <laughs> How we do things. Hold up. How old are you right now? Oh, I'm not. I'm, I'm 28 right now. 28? Okay. 23, you'll be 51, right? Yeah. So yeah. That, w- that wouldn't be too much older than me, and I'm trying to qualify for Boston. So here, I, I'm, I'm your 20-something year, some, something years in the future representation. Exactly. Trying to about, get like, into Boston. <laughs> it's all about putting a goal out there and, and pulling it in. So well, have, you, have you always been in long distance? So... I am relatively new to running. If we were to talk about like timeline, um, since running start, I mean, running started for me um, when I moved out to New York. Um, I kind of ran in high school just because it was a thing to do. Like I tried all the things. I was like, oh, maybe I'll try football. Then I like, maybe I'll try basketball. We'll try track just because I'm from a really small town. And so they kind of just let everybody do everything. And I tried it all and nothing really clicked. I was never really great with any kind of sports at all. Um, but wait, just, where did you move from? I moved from Colorado. Okay. That's an amazing town for running. I love Colorado. Colorado's where yeah. it's at, baby. Because um, there's, <laughs> great, there's great running out there. And it, it's so funny because whenever people hear that, they're like, oh, you must have been running the whole time. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I moved out to the city. Um, and I, a lot of like my kind of college habits and lifestyle carried over into regular person life. Um, and I gained a lot of weight 
and I was not really happy with where I am with like who I was and was dealing with like my own alcoholism. And one of these days I woke up after like a pretty nasty bender and it was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done with whatever that is. Something has to change. And I had started going to the gym because I thought that health was a good place to go from. And from there I started, uh, like I'd finish, I'd go to the gym, lift weights for a little bit. No idea what I was doing. What about running in New York City made it for you something to be, that it became like life changing? What do you think the city gave you that it was different from how you were running in Colorado? Mm-hmm. Like I mean, you were younger, but just like the, the scene. There was no, I mean, I was not involved in it and I didn't like it at all. And like, it just kind of was like a hmm, thing that happened and then it was done. And, but when I moved to the city, I I started running for me just to like get healthier, but I found this amazing community that completely changed how I felt about it because I, I got to see all these incredible examples of how running is more than just running. And you're always like seeing people who this has changed their life and how it brings people together. And in, in a big place like New York, it can be really intimidating when you feel when I I'd moved there I I had like I had friends but I didn't know a lot of people and this was like an immediate like like a head first dive I I think the very first thing I went to was um I went to like a beer mile at East River Track and I was like who are all these people mm-hmm. how do they all know to be here they all know each other and then like 2 days later I ended up at Take the Bridge um, a friend invited me. They're like, oh, you seem cool. You should come hang out. What are you doing tomorrow night? We're, there's this crazy race. I know I didn't know anybody. Um, and I just saw these really welcoming people every single time. It was someone that was like, hey, I'm so-and-so. Who are you? What do you do? Are you training for anything? And it was all these people who were genuinely interested in me and so supportive just like from the get-go they didn't I didn't you didn't have to like prove anything to these people that they were just like oh this seems great you well come on in there's plenty of room in mind I mean 2020 20 uh, yeah you ran a 234 in New York City that's impressive Mm. what's your next goal well um I was supposed to run a 50k this weekend ended up um, you, you'd mentioned something really good earlier where you're like, your feet don't touch the ground when you're running. And I was like, they weren't touching the ground. That was the problem. I'd flown off and I just <laughs> fell off. So I, I was in the middle of a ra- trying to run a 50K. I was going for um, a specific FKT segment and I fell like 10 minutes in. Anyway, that was my goal currently was to try to run this big 50K because almost at, pretty much all the races are canceled right now. Um, I'd been training for Boston earlier this year. Um, I was registered for Boston and for New York this fall. Um, So now I don't have like a concrete next goal race as far as something I'm working towards, but like the big, like the big picture, my breaking two is I really want to qualify for the Olympic trials. Um, So, wow. Yeah. All I got if I say it in a casual way, it makes it seem way more easy. Um, so <laughs> all I got to do is wow. run a 219. <laughs> I just need to run a 219. If I say it casually, yeah. it um, feels more reachable. <laughs> but yeah, I ran 234. Um, I've been constantly cutting it down and just 
I feel like it, I mean, I feel like it's possible. It's just a matter of when I can make it happen. If we can go back to like, uh, I guess just like earlier, you you said that you had different goals for like running in your running at all in 2020, mm -hmm. and you know we all had very different goals for the year. So have you been able to <laughs> follow the the movement within the running community in New York City as far as like how people are using it to protest? against social justice and what have you what are your thoughts about that i mean one of the first things that i thought was like how there was there, there's always like this we, we talk about white guilt all the time that it's like this immediate thing that you're like i feel so bad and then you have to really step back and look at that and say like okay why are you feeling bad because i immediately felt like i've known and been aware, I've, been, I've had a lot of really wonderful people in my life who've been open to educating me. I grew up in a really small place at like almost exclusively a, like a white farming town in Eastern Colorado. And I just hadn't really ever been exposed to any diversity. And as I started to go through college, I, I had all these friends that were like, no, these are like, that opened my eyes to the like, huge mountain of problems that are just built in and deeply ingrained in the country that I, I mean, you wouldn't think about it because it doesn't affect me. So I'm like, well, what I have, why would you ever know? But that's not an excuse by any means. The idea that um, I was set in a place that I'd never really understood, but then I had people who'd shown me what needs to change. And I was still aware of it. And I was doing things to change like how I feel but never really crossed this threshold of letting that be something that's known or actively speaking up. Rather, it was like, a, I'm just going to make sure that I do my part to do like what I need to do for me, which is so like, it's not like so incorrect, but it's just stopping so far short of what should actually happen. The fact that you can take care of yourself, but then, if it expands around the people around you, that's when you start to make change happen in larger things. And what I've seen really with the running scene is that it's like the idea that there have been like people who have constantly been saying something and standing up that now it's more and more people that are like joining. We think about like the power of one person. If that person affects five other people, then that just continues to grow and grow and grow. But and how much like, of an how much of an impact do you see it when it's people who look like you are willing to have these conversations, not mm -hmm. just in public but also in private? in private? Like if you go back to Colorado to this small town where like everybody mm -hmm. looked like you, how are you saying this to them in the ways that, like you say, people educated you in college, mm -hmm. you live in New York City, a very diverse community? How yep. how is that conversation happening? That I mean, that's like that's where the that's where the change really happens is is like we see these like you see large-scale movements and that is part of it but another thing is like how do you change opinions and open minds of people in this kind of a setting where it's a one-on-one -on -one, where you actually have those conversations and one of the people i i really take a lot of notes from my partner jesse i think that i get a little too aggressive and like push for it, but that's 100% like not my place to do, but rather I should have a mountain of patience and be like, okay, 
I want to call somebody in rather than call somebody out. Um, and like ask them questions like, so why do you actually feel like that? And try to come at it as a place from caring for that other person. Especially if we talk about like the people that we need to talk to in our close, close circle, like family members, close friends, someone who you do care about, you want to come from a place of like, like understanding so that, I don't know, the, 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 there isn't a lot of pushback. And like, I'm not asking other people to do that, but I think that as like a white person, I should be the one to be like, I, everybody else has used up lots of patience for a very, very long time. And if there's someone who can like be patient, I should be patient that like reaching out to those people in a place where like I can meet them where they're at and ask them like, like, I understand why, like you, you grew up in this place and I also grew up in this place. So maybe we can make a connection here. And then if I can make a connection with you, maybe we can continue to meet in mutual places of understanding. I think that really tends to help. If you can, if you can make, find some like commonalities behind some, with this someone, because there are some people that are just like, when it's, when it's, it feels like there's a huge divide and I, I think that people just don't even let an idea cross. But if you're able to find like some commonality, people tend to be a little more receptive. Like you can be the vehicle to cross mm -hmm. the middle, to cross over and then be the face, mm -hmm. which is more palatable for some groups to mm -hmm. accept information, you know, as a, I guess as a white person. Exactly. Versus like a black person saying something to like a group of white people who may not be exposed, but if mm -hmm. you're the face you can help facilitate that conversation yes and that's like it's saying it's like clearly it's not like you're, you're you're doing it because you're like okay this is someone who like won't under who might not understand something but if you 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 have to it, it, it makes it makes like it's hard to understand just because someone just needs you to look like them and you're bridging the gap yeah but it's i agree how about um, your involvement with HBCU? Uh, why was it important for you to be a part of it? Well, a big uh, part of the reason was I got reached out to immediately from a good friend, um, Chris. He's uh, been working with them from uh, from the beginning of this um, for Black to the Fire or Black to the Trails, um, and he reached out to me and he was like, "Hey, Matt, I know that this is something that matters to you, and I'd love it if you came on board." And it's something that as soon as we left at the very beginning of COVID, it's something I completely forgot is how white a lot of like Western outdoor spaces are. I walk up and down trails. I go on all these runs and I see 95% of people who look just like me. I see white faces everywhere. I can run in any place that I want. And I just wave and I go, hey, and everyone's like, oh, he clearly must belong here. He, he, he fits, the, he fits the, the, the blank, blank criteria. But like, how do we, how do we, how do we change that? And, like, and that's one of the things that I think that, that um, Black, to the Five, Black to the Trails is doing really well is the fact that it's addressing the fact that a lot of these, there's no, there's no official, there's no rule at the front, at a trailhead that says like, sorry, we're at capacity for 
anyone who doesn't look like this, but it's, it goes way back before that. It's like, when was this introduced to you? The reason why I like to go hiking and why I have these things is because when I was young, I was involved in organizations that like showed me where to go. I was, I, I'm an Eagle Scout. Um, and in my scout troop, I'm, as far as like people who made it all the way through, I can, I would bet a hundred dollars right here that every single one of them is white. And Scout's honor. Scout's honor. <laughs> um, and you look at that and you're like, okay. Cause it's, it's, it's like, what opportunities have been afforded to you that make you are where you're at? Like when you're taken somewhere, when it's more of just like, um, less of like an open, but like an invitation, that's when you feel comfortable there. Like I can only imagine how it would feel like I, whenever we hike and we wear masks, um, we do that because we care about other people, but people look at you weird out here if you're hiking and you're wearing your mask. And the way that people look at you, it's that feeling of like, oh, that's not right. That doesn't belong. And that is probably the closest I will ever feel to being a person of color hiking in these areas. The fact that someone looks at you and you can like tell immediately, they're like, that doesn't belong. And like, obviously that's like comparing apples to oranges, but in like, that's like the closest I could ever even come to it. That these people, there's the people that just like, can't really grasp it. And it's because you just don't see this. You don't see anyone else out there. How about you, Nathan? Was your introduction to trails about the same? Yeah, uh, well, not in the same as growing up in a small Colorado town. Um, I grew up in the city of Pittsburgh, and um, it's a pretty diverse city to a degree, and I've lived in New York since college, even though I went to college in Indiana, so it's, um, I went from, you know, an inner city to a very white, extremely white, like 90 plus percent college white place to New York, where part of my family's from, so I feel much more at home here. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the stuff you're saying, I've, I have some just thoughts, and I'm curious what you think about like what could what could be different and how things could evolve. Because I've been running, um, you know, ultras, uh, probably a couple of races a year, mainly locally, but mm-hmm. you know, sometimes that means a lot of trails and getting out into other spaces and the main reason I fell into it um, was just that I, I love, I don't know how it happened, but I just loved being outdoors and I love being in nature and I go out, um, you know, by myself and with my friends and my family, every chance I get, even though I love living in the city. And part of the allure of doing trails is just to be in the woods. It's amazing. You know, there's nothing like it. And when I go to ultras and it's impossible to look around and not notice that most people are white and a lot of men also. Mm -hmm. So it's a very uh, heavily, you know, white male thing. And my experience of just knowing that that is not the only type of person who runs and definitely not the only type of person who likes distance running. Um, So 
why is it like that? And I don't know the answer, um, but I'm curious if, you know, you ever have those feelings of being in those spaces. You talked about a little bit and like just saying, why, why is it like this? And why, why does it have to be like this? This, is, mm-hmm. this isn't reality, but there's this kind of privilege bubble around the space of a, a distance race and what, what could be different? Like you look at, you, I think it's in, it's in multiple stages that if you're never introduced to something, you never, it like, that's like when that I thought bubble pops in of like, Ooh, I might like this. This is something I might want to try. I might want to continue. So if you're never even exposed to it, like you don't know the things you don't know. Right. If it's, if it's not on your radar, it's never even going to show up, but then way more from that, that as you like, there's like a whole like g- group of hurdles you have to go over to like, so it's sort of saying for ultras, the idea that for a trail ultra scene, there's a couple like requirements. Like we got to, we have to have a mode of transportation. We have to have a way to get to this thing. Um, there's more gear involved that it's like not like, cause one of the nice things about like a road race is like there are things, but it's not as much like stuff as you need for like the trails. It's like a whole nother level. Whenever you're looking at these, these spaces, like even, and this is even saying for like city-based road races, you still, I look around in the corral and I'm like, it's still like overwhelmingly white. And I think on the trails, it's, it's more, it's definitely more so, but um, you just, you wonder like, where is like the, what is it? Like the phrase is like coded language. Like where is the coded language that says you should be here and you shouldn't be here? Like, I think that's one of the places you have to get to is like, why would someone not feel welcome? Why would someone not want to be there in the first place? Because I think that that desire to connect with nature is like a very general human thing. I think that- Yeah, and I think it also that falls down with, like you were saying before about access, representation, Mm -hmm. inclusivity, you know, like for example, like if you grow up in New York City, your high school might take you to a cross country track mm-hmm. upstate New York, depending on where your high school is. So like if mm-hmm. you are at a high school like in the Upper West Side, you might get to do that. But if, but if you are at a high school, I don't know, in Bed Stuy, I'll give you an example. Might, might not have access to that. So I know Jamie yeah. can talk about that. I think it's also um if you look at a lot of uh brown and black community um they grew up maybe in single family households where the parent is a sole worker so like you just said like if you were young you would have a parent would be able to take you to a meeting where they themselves would get vested in and they would research and they would have access to you know events um they would have the time to take and then you have a lot of single family homes in which that parent would not have the time or resources to dedicate for their child one or two children or three children. And I went to uh, New York City Public High School and we didn't have that type of stuff, but I joined a nonprofit that actually once a year took us upstate New York and like like camping or like riding a horse. But that was- You had to seek that out yourself. 
I had to find it, um, and it was funded by New York City, but due to budget cuts, mm-hmm. they've cut that program 20 years ago. But it's it's having access and exposure mm-hmm. and then meeting people who kind of look like or came from my background so I can connect with them. Because if you put me 20 years ago, if you put me with like someone like you in, a, in, in like out in the woods, I would feel very uncomfortable and intimidated. Mm-hmm. But 20 years later, now that I've learned how to come out my shell it's different but yeah there's even like but if i can add also just real quick that i mean even if you i don't think that coming from like a single parent household is going to keep you from going or trail running i think it's also about the access that your family has like because you could be like a widow from the upper east side you are the single breadwinner, but then you have access to money. You have access to connections. And I think that's really where, at least for me from where I see it, that's where really the, the access to these places happens. Like I, I'm someone who like knows these places exist. I have like the physical and mental skill set to go there. And even with that, I'm still like, man, it's a pain in the ass to try to get to some of these places. Like I feel comfortable in these places. I go in there and I'm like, man, ah, this is like my turf. I feel good here. And it's still like hard and not as accessible to me to get out there. So like knowing that that's challenging for me, someone who like would go there and be like, this feels very comfortable for me. Multiply that by how much for someone who doesn't even like, who has like all these extra hurdles to go over. In what other areas of running and fitness do you think we need to see changes? For example, you are an instructor in New York City. How did you get break into that business? Do people, when you go interview, do they all look like you? Do you get connected by people who look like you? How, how is that part of the industry working? So I was able to um, get the job that I did because I had made the right friends. Like when I first got it started in fitness, it was a friend of mine who was dating an instructor that got me an interview at the right place. And at, at, when, I, when I first started there, um, this, was at, this was before I worked at Mile High, um, it was everybody else there looked like me, all the clients looked like me. Um, and you, you'd think that even in New York, like we said, I've said, it's an incredibly diverse place that in certain parts of the New York fitness scene, it's really like there, there are more diverse pockets, but this was like this first studio I ever taught at. I was up on the Upper East Side and it was like an offshoot of a place from Westchester and like lots of the clients looked just like me. And I'd never, like, this was something that I'd known the people and like, that's how I got into it. And I wonder how anybody else who would be looking to break into it would even be able to to find these things because like I, I have no idea how I would have found my way there if it wasn't for the fact that I had the right friend in the right place how about well you've been in runners, runners world quite a bit um mm-hmm. do you how did you get featured <laughs> I know the right people like and that's a whole nother thing that like connections. I, I you, you make the connections and you wonder like is this like, and that's just because like I knew the right person. And then like, I started like knowing the editors. Like I know the people who take photos there. I know the people who write articles at runner's world. And 
I'm glad to see that they're make, recently making a bigger effort to showcase. I mean, they did, they did but once, they, but on Rise Runners, they, once. Yep. once. I mean, the, the, the effort that you see is that... Is it performative? The, the, time, the time that you get a non-white person on the cover is because they are an athlete, mm -hmm. you know, or a celebrity. Whereas, like, all the other times when you have a white person on the cover, they're not necessarily that. They're just they're just your just, average Joe. Exactly. And, and like, they aren't necessarily defined by that. They're like, hey, this person is this, but they're also this. And it's like a multifaceted person that they're displaying. And that's like the story that they're trying to push with it as well. That, but like, you, you might see just like a regular person on the cover, like you said. And I'm wondering where it's going to go from here. Like, I. I but magazines, I think feed off of their subscriptions they look at the type of subscribers that they get yep. so i think that's what they're feeding into because they're getting data from something mm -hmm. they're getting human capital data from somewhere and i guess that's what runner's world feels that they should feed mm -hmm. so but i think they story? also want to go into like the advertisers you know what i mean they feel like i am gonna go to like i don't know patagonia and mm -hmm. i'm just picking a name like i don't i don't really know them and say like hey you cater to people who do ultra ultra running and they buy your equipment so this is who i will have on the cover how many times can you commit to publishing my magazine with your ads mm -hmm. um yeah sorry matt i don't know did you want to oh you're gonna say, say like I, I think that that definitely connects because you're looking at like what is it because a lot of that comes down to the money game like what is someone going to use to make the most money? And like you said, does the data correlate with that? But then also when do you as like a publication need to step away from that and understand that you also have an obligation to showcase everyone who falls under this blanket that like runners look like everyone because th that, that's the true magic of running is that like, it can be anyone. And like you said, finding like, what, what, what's the line when you have to separate between like, yes, you're trying to make money as a, as a publication, but also what's your responsibility as a voice in the community? Because, you know, people of color also have money. Yeah. They also buy shoes. They, they buy, buy magazines. They go they on buy races. They buy your jackets. They do. You know what I mean? Exactly. Everybody does the same thing. Money so it's is like, there. yeah, and that's like, it's like, why? So, why is this catered to like, why is the funnel pointed like this? Why can't we change the social experiment? Why can't Runner's World start showing other black, brown, Asian faces? Mm -hmm. Because think of it like when they were showing Jordan and they were showing other like basketball players, you got to how many inner cities and how many kids, how many little black kids, they want to be basketball players. That's their dream. Cause that's what they're mm -hmm. seeing is making that much money. You start showing some runners that look like them and you start showing how much credit they get and, and advertising money they get and sponsorship. I'm pretty sure it'll change because they'll just think like, okay, I'm not great at shooting basketball, but Hey, I can run fast. And like, and visibility is the key. Like we said, like, if you don't, if you, if you can't see yourself in a, in like, like the, like we were talking, like, where do you see yourself in 23 years? 
oh, I can see myself there because I see people 23 years ahead doing this thing. And like, if you can see yourself in some, what someone else is doing, then that really like makes that immediate mental connection. Like, oh, someone's been there. Someone's done this before. Like the path is already there. Why can't I do it? That makes, I, sh I should, I can go. And that's, I think that's one of like the biggest things about that, about visibility. Matt, do you have these kind of conversations when you're um, in Montana writing out the pandemic or if you're in a group of, you know, super fast sub elite runners? Are you talking about this kind of stuff? Well, I'm not having any conversations with any other runners up here because it's just me. <laughs> but I have those conversations. Um, but I do have those conversations. I'm really lucky that I've been able to spend all this time with my partner, Jesse and her family. And we've had a lot of challenging conversations that like, not only like, I think are beneficial for anyone else listening, but like for you, like, like we are right now, when you talk through something at gen, you have to critically think about why you're like, why you feel this way, why you, why you feel the, called to do something about it and when especially when you're talking to someone who's older than you there's this like i'm always worried that i'm going to sound wrong and say the wrong thing and that i'm not going to like argue my point correctly and that i'm going to like ruin this person like you made the worst sandwich ever and i'm never eating sandwiches ever again which is always a thing i worry about but we're having these conversations and that's, that's, that's where the change happens. Like I've been able to see firsthand when we started bringing these questions up to family members, like. Like an example, do you have an example of something why, that you why, Like you're, you're asking like, so how many people, how many non-white people do you employ? Why are they employed like this? Why? do you choose like if it, and like, and if anyone says like, Oh, I don't really pay attention to that. I don't see this. And you're like, okay, so let's break that down. Why are you trying to like, why are you, why are you trying to push away from it? Why are you trying to escape from responsibility on this? And to try and do this in like a nice way, of course, but um, to actually like put the pedal on sometimes asking those harder questions and I'm lucky that we have family members who then ask us questions back and are still receptive. And they're like, well, why are you just now starting to ask us these questions? I'm like, very good point. Because like, <laughs> I, it's, and it's like, then like, you're like, that's on me because I've been too comfortable in the fact that I'm like, just going to control my own little bubble. But that's not how change happens is by like, reaching out to people around you. I have, I have one, I have my one running friend up here that I get to see every so often. And right after we'd like done our two week quarantine. So I knew that we were all good. Um, we went on our first run and we had like a three hour run together. And it was one of those amazing things where we were like asking ourselves a lot of those questions of like, what is, what should we be saying right now? What should we, uh, is, is this our time to talk? Is this our time to listen? what is like the fine line between saying something, but then also creating space for someone who can speak from a personal experience. Whereas like being, 
I'm, I'm a white cis straight male. I, I have like everything, like all, all the spaces are already marked and reserved. For, for you, yeah, yeah. So what can you do as someone who has those spaces reserved? How can you like hold that space for someone else and open it up? Because you, you're like, like you said, it's already, everything's already reserved <laughs> for me. Just by the way that it's all built. But questions, like, yeah, what, and I, I think I, like, it's never right from the get go. It's, I, I'm like, as I said, I'm really always worried about saying the wrong thing or about going about it the wrong way. But that's been a bigger part for me is not being so worried about doing it wrong and being okay with being corrected and taking criticism and being like, okay, oh, I hadn't even seen it like that before. Thank you. <laughs> being okay with being uncomfortable and having yes. comfortable conversations. Even even last so this week I was um trying to run my 50k and I wanted to raise some money specifically for um Black to the Trails and there's also up here I'm we're on a lot of um indigenous land up in Montana and the like native populations have been hit excessively hard with COVID and like like disproportionately huge numbers. So I was like, okay, this is, I've been spending a lot of time. So I want to try to give back to some of these people. And so I found a charity I really liked. And I was like, great. This is like literally just like a GoFundMe straight to this nonprofit that works with um, tribes in Montana. Love it. And I was really excited about it. And I have a very good friend, Park, who, who reached out to me afterwards. And they were like, hey, I really love that you did this. But also, don't forget about um, the amount of murdered and kidnapped and missing indigenous people in the area. And I'm like, oh, I literally, that wasn't even on my radar. Like, I hadn't even thought about this. And I'm, thank you. Sorry, I forgot. Going to carry forward with this where it's like, no one, none of us are ever going to do anything right all the time. But just being open to correction and getting uncomfortable and like moving forward with new information. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know that it's about being sorry that you forgot. It's more like you, like you were saying earlier is that in the world, everything is given to you. So mm -hmm. the issues that affect the people that are also in Montana never, got into your circle mm -hmm. until like now you are wanting to become aware of like wait i am privileged that i left new york city i can come oh. up here now and just hang that's, out in the trails that's literally something i think about every day where i'm like i was able to just bop out and have my partner's family cabin open like that in itself is, is incredible privilege. And it's, 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 it's very strange because at first I, I didn't tell anybody I was coming here. I kept it very down low because I was like, I don't want to, like so many people are dealing with hard shit right now. And I don't want to be like popping out to this other place and being like, look how easy it is for me out here. But... That's like, but I, but I think that's a good thing though that when you when you talk about it because then then you are aware of like mm -hmm. your privilege like even though unfortunately like you have lost your job, 
mm-hmm. where you're not struggling at the same time to like feed your kids and you know you are in a place mm-hmm. where you're safe you yep. have open open spaces you're not stuck like you know in an apartment building in new york city mm-hmm. where it's, if it's a very different scenario of how we people are experiencing you know the pandemic compared like, to about, where you are like we talked about earlier like in like certain like like I think about especially like single parent households that are now dealing with virtual school while they're also going back to work. And like, there is layers on layers. And I think like, man, things are challenging for me right now. But that's just like, doesn't even hold a candle to the fact that like, there's so, so many layers of things that people are constantly working through like that. Usually towards the end of our segment, we would like to give our guests a platform. This is going to be your platform and we're going to call it the hot mic. And Mm -hmm. you're going to get two minutes to basically just, you know, have the floor to talk about what you want to leave the audience with. Oh, I like this. Well, hot mic. (laughs) Matt, I'm going to, I'm going to put a stopwatch on you because we know how fast you can go on the track and on the roads, but you need to be <laughs> timed here as well. So Love it. take it away. All right. Well, I think that one of the best things for us all to do right now is to take a genuine look at what's around you. Where are, like, what, does, what does your smaller circle look like? Is there anything that you can do to offer more of an invitation How can, like, a lot of the times we get really comfortable in where we're at and you might, and you start to like develop blind spots. That's just like, this is, this is my ask is if you could just like look in like what your like closest immediate circle is and asking like, what can I do to positively affect this small space? Like I love, big plans are great. Big goals are great, but what can you do in that small circle? Like we said, can we have uncomfortable conversations with our family members, with our friends? Um, can we look and ask people at work? Like, what does your work circle look like? Who are the people that are being hired? If you're in a, a hiring position, who are the people that you're pulling in? Um, like, what are the kinds of organizations that you're, that you're working with? Yes. And <laughs> I'm still, now, now I have the clock in my head. Um, just thinking what can you do to continue to offer invitations and you have 30 seconds. If you're holding (laughs) space, if you have those earmarked spaces that are saved for you, if you're a person like me who is in a position of a lot of privilege, what can you do to like open that space up to someone else? Time. (laughs) Well done. Thank you. (laughs) Leverage off. I didn't talk too fast. No, we'll leverage off of Matt connections that's basically what it, what you're saying is you know what you become a gateway for other people and to bring forth that leverage if y'all ever need something just ask all right that's a great way to wrap up the show i want to give a very special thanks to our guest matthew luke meyer and of course to my co-hosts inez and jamie thanks everyone for listening and looking forward to seeing you again on the next episode of let's get uncomfortable thanks for listening to let's get uncomfortable If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us on the App Store, and follow us on Spotify.